0: finish up this uh, run through into and the different uh, parts of being into Christ or placed into Christ. Just a couple more left here at the um, on the top of page eight. And then we'll uh, go into the position of the believer. As I recall, I didn't want to rush through <laughs> just to finish up these last several Uh, last time but I think in the the coming sections they're not going to be as expansive as this one was so we'll be able to make up time and get back on our overall schedule Uh, but again we're looking at uh, the importance of this preposition ice Mm -hmm. and looking at how it takes something that was here and places it into another and the importance of that into uh, or in the believer in Christ Uh, and so the Piece here, what we're looking at here is uh, the believer has been placed into righteousness, and it's important to cite there that it's not our righteousness, right? And this is a continuing theme that you see from the start of Scripture. What was the, the fatal flaw that Cain made? It was all about his righteousness, right? And he wanted to prove himself righteous before God. And uh, there is a part of the sin nature that just desires to make itself look good, right? You ever had someone that, uh, I know no one in this room was guilty of this, but uh, people outside of this room, people in the world, might have people that look at them a certain way and they want to change that perception of that individual, right? Because they, they can't stand and not have someone like them. Well, uh, the sin nature wants to make itself look good or wants to present itself in a certain light, and we'll see that with. Uh, A couple of these uh, instances of being placed into uh, Christ's righteousness. Well, we don't see that, but we see (laughs) uh, true righteousness and what that looks like in Christ. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Uh, We'll look at these uh, couple of instances of this. And then we have uh, behaviors that are uh, uh, inherent of the believer as we're placed into Christ. And then we'll get into uh, our in Christ discourse. Father, we're uh, grateful uh, for this day, uh, grateful for the start of another week and uh, the opportunity to come back together in this course and uh, to look at all the wonderful truth your your word has to say about us uh, being placed in Christ and the benefits that come along with that. Uh, we know in and of ourselves we're insufficient, and we are grateful that uh, we have the ability uh, to live out this life uh, because of what your son has did, done on our behalf. And so, as we continue to study through this topic, again, we we pray that we'd gain a better knowledge and then appreciation for that as we uh, apply these things in our regular lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. And so, the top of page eight, you see. Oh, you guys don't have page eight yet. <laughs> At the top of page eight, if you had it. Oh, oh you do have page eight. Okay. I printed the wrong page, (laughs) Uh Uh, so it should be nine and ten. Oops. She's probably looking at him right now and saying, "What is he doing?" (laughs) Nine and ten. Okay, fix that. Okay, so top of page eight, we see the believer, and we've been here before, but we'll we'll just look at this again. Uh, the believer uh, yielding our members as servants to obedience uh, of Christ enter into his righteousness in our present tense salvation. So go with me over to Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. And we took a little little time out last time, I think, to talk about how we overcome our sin, rate, sin nature, and it's in this context, and no reckon, yield, right? You know the things that have been done uh, in Christ and the things that have been appropriate appropriated to us you then reckon yourself as dead to the sin nature and then you yield your members as instruments to christ and so uh, we can pick it up from verse 13 it says there neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves as unto god as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto god for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under uh, really there you could say any law. There's, there's a d there, but in the, the Greek you see there's no article. But under grace, what then shall we shall we sin uh, because law, or because we are not under law, uh, but under grace? May it never come to be. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are. Uh, to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience into righteousness. And so the choice is yours. Uh, I've phrased it a lot of different ways between an old model and a new model, right? Between our old nature and our new nature. You have the choice in your present tense salvation as to if you're going to live out this life as to uh, serving your flesh, or you're going to do it to serving um, um, your position in Christ. And so here you see a part of that is actively placing yourself into Christ that's already been appropriated for you. Uh, In Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, we see the association with Christ allows the believer to enter into his righteousness apart from law. And so there's no working that you have to do to enter into the righteousness from Christ. Uh, And here, uh, Paul dealing with Uh, Israel and and of of course over the history of their time they think the law was used for righteousness and really honestly the law was never supposed to be the complete righteousness of Israel it would have never served them that way it was always pointing forward to the work that Christ was going to accomplish on uh, their behalf but pick it up in verse one it says brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. There you see a clear picture of man's righteousness versus God's righteousness. Who was it a couple years ago? I think it was Steve Thomas that did the paper righteousness (laughs) man's righteousness or god's righteousness and that's a, a a good uh topic in verse four it says for christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes and so uh it says christ is the end of the law for righteousness in your english but really it's the preposition ice it's into righteousness There is no utilizing the law to enter into God's righteousness. Right. And even if you were to be righteous because you upheld some law, it's not God's righteousness. It's yours for upholding that law. Right. But as you uh, enter into your position in Christ, you're counted as righteous because of what Christ has accomplished. And so you can see that again actively being carried out in real time. And in verse 10, we could keep reading through. You see the apostle Paul uh, uh, references the ability of the individual Israelites to enter into Christ's righteousness by confessing him to be uh, who he is. And so scroll down just a little bit, pick it up in verse six. It says, but the righteousness, which is out from law or faith, (laughs) don't let me add words to scripture, uh, speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh uh, thee, even in thy mouth, and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him out from the dead ones, or out from among dead ones, thou shall be saved for with the heart man believeth into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation or really there you could say because of salvation and so again you see it's it's entering into God's righteousness is something that has been given to a believer by position right and you entering into that in real time is you uh, placing your mind on on your position in Christ and entering into that actively We also see that uh, into glory is another phrase that we see used uh, to show this um, positional uh, things that have been appropriated to the believer. And again, it's not our glory, right? (laughs) We do things, uh, people drive around in cars because they want to show forth an opinion about themselves, Uh, fancy cars, Maseratis, uh, all of these things. They want to show forth what they have and what they think themselves to be. Well, the opinion that we can show forth, and the pastor has been doing a series on this glory, right, that we show forth. And it's really a representation of the glory of God, right? Just like the sun represents the glory shining from the moon. The moon wouldn't shine by itself, right? It's because the sun is reflecting off of that, and that's how we are. We're reflecting the light of God, and you can enter into this uh, in your position. And so the believer is changed on the outside to reflect the glory of the Lord by our entry into him. Go with me over to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 18. Can't remember back. The pastor's been on this series for a while, but I think he started here. <laughs> it's been a long time. But this is a really good one. So in the context, uh, it is cited that when Moses came off of the mountain, he was showing forth outwardly the glory of God, right? And then he put a veil over his face and they didn't know that it had worn off, uh, because he wanted them to, to still think that glory was showing forth. But we we don't need any veil. Right, we are openly able to show forth the glory of God, and we don't have to be walking around glowing. Right, it's it's through your actions and the way that you look on the, the outside to the outside world. Put it, pick it up in verse uh, or 14. It says, "But their minds were blinded." Speaking of Israel, for an, until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall return to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And when this where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory glory. To glory, And really there you could say from one quality of glory into another quality of glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And so you see this process that's happening for the believer all throughout your present tense salvation. Right. So as you're maturing from one place to another and you're showing forth this glory, it's, it's happening over and over and over again. And I'd like to think maybe it gets a little brighter each time that you show forth uh, this glory. But you see that. Uh, into glory there and then lastly and this will uh, close us out for this section we see of the behaviors resulting from our entrance into christ and so uh, into obedience uh, us being able to be obedient over in second corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 we see spiritual rep- weapons bring potential adverse behavior into obedience uh, from our position in christ 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 And we can pick it up at verse 1 And he says there now I Paul myself beseech you uh, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who is present uh, or who in presence am base among you but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Um, and really, there you could say, into the obedience of uh, the Christ. And so. Uh, It's your position, right? It's you living in Christ is going to spur you into uh, living obediently uh, in Christ and and being able to go against these uh, 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 negative works of the flesh as well as spiritual enemies uh, in the context. And then lastly, uh, into good works. And so we see the believer is able to abound uh, in into position through the supply of grace from God uh, to accomplish good works. And that's one chapter back in uh chapter nine. Oh that's not right. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse eight. Uh do, 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 do. oh yeah it is right. Okay. <laughs> I was looking in the wrong place. Um and this is our offertory scripture. Uh, again, um, the people in here that go to church probably should be able to to read this by themselves without me referencing it since we do it every Sunday. But uh, We don't go as far as verse 8, so I'll, I'll let you off the hook here. But pick it up in verse 5. It says, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Where if you had noticed before that the same uh, might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness, but this I say he which sow sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he would soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully, every man as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you all hurt toward you, that you always having all sufficiency. And all things may abound into every good work. And so as you see it, that pastor has really tried to emphasize this for years about giving, right? This is a priestly sacrifice, and we're going to talk about uh, a little bit later the priesthood of the believer uh, is just a part of this. But as you're operating out of your position in Christ, you're going to enter into those good works that God has laid out for you, right? The problem with believers today is we're trying to make it up. (laughs) We don't trust that God's going to show and direct us by his Holy Spirit. So uh, I think I'm going to go out and do this today. I think I'm going to go feed a hundred homeless people and (laughs) and do all of this stuff that, I don't know, has God asked you to do that? (laughs) That's a question for the individual. Right. But as you're uh, thinking this through, you need to be very, very specific that you are being led by the Holy Spirit to do things that you're doing and putting God's name on them. Right. Uh, And I don't think people are always that careful about that. And so that wraps up uh, this preposition ice and looking at the occurrences of that and how they're uh, really effective in showing an entry right from leaving where we used to be into where we are now in our position in christ and they also show forth not just at our uh, at salvation when we believe we know these things were appropriated to us right but as you're walking it out in your present tense salvation that into also comes into (laughs) there's that word into play right because you have to keep appropriating these things uh, that you've been given in christ uh, in the present now, our, the position of the believer. Now, as we enter into this, this is kind of the second half of our uh, study. And so we're now specifically going to look at those um, usages that use the preposition in and kind of shape the rest of our course uh, based on that. And so uh, we want to do introduction first, just like we did for the preposition ice uh, of uh, the, our position in Christ. And so section one will just be the introduction. And then section two, which you don't have notes for, I don't believe. Uh, oh, yeah, you do. Section two, we'll, we'll start to look at the reckoning of God. And so God, having counted us and we talked about this term before, uh, counted certain things to us that in our reality aren't reality. Right? If you're looking at it just simply from this world's perspective. When we say that you have a position in heaven right now, that you are actively right now seated at the right hand of God. I dare any of you guys to go out to the street, find the first first person you see and say, hey, do you know that while I'm sitting here talking to you right now that I'm seated at the right hand of God in heaven? They're probably going to ask you to go get checked out for some mental problems that they think you have, right? But this is absolutely a fact, right? Because it's a fact in the mind of God. And we're going to talk about what that means, right? Just because it's not reality to the world and the way that the world sees things doesn't mean that it's not a reality to God. And as you think about it, God who exists in, in eternity, and we're going to look about some of the facts concerning God who can see all things, who can see the end from the beginning. Who knows that you're seated at the right hand of God? This is a reality to him. And so the key for us in our Christian lives is to live as if his reality is our reality. And then the power of that position starts to be activated in your present life. Now, the anatomy of this preposition in, we want to look at the definition of it. Loan says it's a, a position defined as being uh, within certain limits. And so if what we like to do, uh, we like to do circles, right? <laughs> so if you were to look at N, here it is. That's the Greek. That's the English. And so N means you're enclosed in something. And specifically for us, it's in Christ. And as we look at that position and that enclosure for us, it's where we're seated right now and in, in heaven and that that has implications uh, again to our present. My definitions for it, the base definition is the preposition and uh, the uses with nouns in the locative case expresses the idea of being in a fixed location. And theological usage is used with certain nouns to express the eternal location of the believer as a result of salvation, baptism of the Holy Spirit, and placement into Christ. And so that was the importance of that preposition, ice, uh, and looking at our placement into him. Now, usage in scripture, we see this uh, preposition, in, used with the names of the persons of the Godhead. And so we see that and we're going to see that we have a position in god the father we have a position of course in christ and we have a position in the holy spirit Uh, we also you see it used with pronouns uh, such as in him in whom uh, these different uh, pronouns that are are very important and then we see it used in different compound forms uh, that we'll point out along the way as well now the importance of God's reckoning is the first thing we want to look at with reference to um, our, our position in Christ. And so uh, we've talked about reckoning before, but um, there is a specific verse, who if you don't look down and can call it out, uh, I've mentioned it several times before, It might end up being on the test. I see several people looking down, so I'm not <laughs> going to give you the opportunity to answer. But Romans 4, 17, if you have not noted in your Bible... This is a very important verse when it comes to defining biblically what reckoning means. Now, you see in this uh, whole chapter, this is the one that I like to use as a citation for the importance of the Greek language, because if you're just reading through here in English, you see the same word translated several different ways you see it translated reckoning you see it translated imputed i think it's translated counted in the same context these are all the same word right and so legizomai having this idea um, and so in verse 17 you get there we'll pick it up in verse 16 it says therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed Not to that only, which is out from law, but to that also, which is out from faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As uh, it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed. Even God, who quickeneth the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And so these things that be not, does does that mean that God is sitting up in heaven playing a game of uh, fairy tales in heaven. No, it's looking at man's perspective, right? These things that from our perspective as men, as we're looking at just this specific life, these things that God is saying is true don't make sense to us, right? You can't put a scientific equation around this and, and make it make sense. But in God's reckoning, if we're calling God, God and saying he is the God of all science, he is the God of all creation. He made all of these things. Then if God says it's true, then it's true. And I can prove to you several places that God says that we have a position in Christ. Right. And we're secure in that position. And so I translate it as God's ability Being the creator of all things and being unbound by his creation to see the completion of all things that have yet to take place in time. And that is an essential part of this understanding that God exists in eternity and we exist in time. And so we're seeing things play out in a sequential order, in a timed manner. And that's all we can see. Whereas God sees the end from the beginning and knows all things. Now, the manner of his reckoning, uh, we want to look at uh, over the course of this particular section. How does God reckon? What does God reckon? And how does God's reckoning impact the position of the believer? Um, We will look at the possessions of the believer uh, versus the um, or excuse me, the possessions of the believer. I left off some. Oh, OK. Still in the introduction. That wasn't making sense to me. OK. And so when we look at the possessions of the believer, that will be here in a, a little bit. I thought I was starting on the, the reckoning section. I have it. Um, And so this is the outline of the whole rest of the, the things that we're going to look at. And so the possessions of the believer will be the next section uh, after that one. And we'll look at the provision of possessions, the activation of possessions and the list of possessions that we have. And then we'll look at the uh, present tense salvation of the believer. Uh, The tenses of salvation are important to that, and then the significance of the uh, position in the in our present tense salvation and then as i mentioned earlier we're going to be looking at the priesthood of the believer we won't be able to look at it deeply enough to do it justice because this is not a priesthood course but just as an offshoot of your position in christ and some of the things that come along with that we want to look at priesthood and so we'll look at the significance of the priesthood as well as the offerings uh, of the grace believer, and finally, our last uh, uh, part of this uh, will be the future of the believer, and so uh, it tells us in Scripture that God is still going to be accomplishing things all the way out into the future through our position in christ, and so that 's an important one to to look at and so we 'll look at the outward working of all things in Christ as well as the uh, coalescing of biological and eternal life uh, in our future. And so let's uh, start tonight, I kind of started there and forgot that I was on the introduction, <laughs> with the reckoning of, of God for the believer. And so as we said, uh, you see these definitions here lexically of legittimai, which is our word for reckoning, uh, and this means to count or to reckon, to deem or suppose. Uh, Freiberg says it is a, a, an objective reckoning, is looking at um, keeping a mental record to charge or credit to one's account uh, as a result of objective or object evaluation. I would define it like this. I say when referencing God, it is the divine prerogative to express something as reality that is not a reality to man. And so, uh, again, you look at mankind out here. uh, A lot of things concerning heaven aren't reality to them. Uh, But as you look at us, and we're taking this Bible to be true, there are certain things that God are going to ascribe in it, and we're going to take those things as as being true. Uh, God seeing things in eternity and not needing to learn in order to know is able to see the reality of things he calls to be so, even where man cannot. And so uh, by biblical definition, I would say uh, Paul provides the definition as he is uh, expresses how God could be made or, or could make Abraham the father of many nations, even though it hadn't yet occurred. And so that's what we read in uh, Romans chapter four and verse 17. And so as you think about Abraham, God is is saying to Abraham, you're going to have all of these nations that come out from you. Right. Not just his physical seed. He's saying all of the nations will be blessed through you. And Abraham Could not look at what God was saying and count that to be reality at that point. Right. And so what does it say? God that calls those things that aren't as though they are. That was a future reality that Abraham could not have possibly known to be true in that moment that God said is true. Right. And so we'll see this uh, as a, a. foundation or basis for, uh, the rest of our understanding concerning this word. Now we also see it found in that same book several different times. And I referenced that earlier. You see the verses there in chapter four, but they all come together to express something concerning, uh, God's reckoning. And it's not just for Abraham continue to read with me. If you guys are still there in Romans chapter four and verse 17, um, and really right after that in verse 18, He says, who against hope, let me go back because we've been gone from it for a little while. In verse 17, it says, and as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were, who against uh, hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in the faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of of Sarah's womb. And so he even wraps in this some of the other faith that, that Abraham expressed, right? Um, these things could not have been easy to understand. And in fact, Sarah laughed, right? (laughs) I'm 90 years old. I'm going to have a baby. What are you, crazy? And so you you think about this from human terms, it makes no sense, right? (laughs) It's just like uh, with anything with faith, and 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 I don't want to get off on a tangent about faith, but this is very essential to those things that God calls to be true. You look at your individual lives, And how many times has God placed you in a situation where here's what he wants you to do? And are you going to place faith in what he wants you to do? Are you going to wait for every circumstance to align perfectly like it should from a human perspective? Right. Well, I can tell you, many of people in this room know I would have never gone to seminary if that had been the case, because all of these circumstances at that time were saying, well, you shouldn't go. Right. And I don't want to go through all the details and bore people with them, but there were so many things that would have said from a human perspective, this is not the thing to do right now. I think my father has the same story many times in his life where there have been things that he knows that God is calling him to do. Well, this this very Bible Institute. Here's something that was a vision in his mind that God placed in his mind for him to do many years ago. And he came to me and talked to me about it. And I said... <laughs> What are you talking about, man? <laughs> you might need to go and uh, take a nap. Well, this vision has come to fruition, right? And, and no matter what people in the outside world might think about it, here's something that God asked him to do. He saw the vision for and was able to carry it out, right? And we've seen the same thing happen many times. You, you can't always rely on all of the situations and factors to line up perfectly for you to do what God wants you to do. And this my word really expresses that. Uh, and we'll see it with our position in Christ. And so the reckoning of Abraham, um, we see that in, in several different places, uh, specifically in this chapter. But we also see it in other places. Go with me over to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. <coughs> Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. And we'll go back just a little bit to verse 1, just to get some context. It says, There, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ uh, hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive you this spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Or are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? This goes into again this uh, righteousness and wanting to this this sin nature component of wanting to make yourself righteous by some rule or some law, right? The, there, there's no other way for you to make yourself look good as a man, or speaking as a human being, than comparing yourself alongside of somebody else, right? You ever notice that I can do this? This person can't do this. This is the only way as a man to make your, yourself look good. Verse 4, it says, Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Uh, he therefore uh, that ministereth to you the Spirit and uh, worketh, by, worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by works of the law or by hearing of faith, even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You see there that was reckoned or deemed uh, to him for righteousness. And going back to what we saw uh, in chapter four of Romans, uh, we also see something similar in in, uh, James chapter two and verse 23. So we won't go there. Uh, But you see, Abraham uh, believed, not believer, but believed God's promises to correct that uh, to multiply his seed. And Abraham's faith was counted by God as sufficient Uh, for him to have acted right. This is an individual righteous act uh, that was not positional at the time, though it was based on the work uh, that his seed would accomplish in speaking of that singular seed, even Christ. Uh, So going back to Romans chapter four, and we didn't finish reading over there. I want to just hit a couple more of those places that are cross-referenced with this, but Romans chapter four, and we'll keep reading that this, What Abraham did and the reckoning of God for Abraham was not just for his sake, right? That expanded beyond him to his seed that came after him. And so pick it up in uh, verse 19. He says, and uh, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that that would, uh, that what he had promised he was able to perform. Is that not faith in a nutshell? Right. God says that he's going to do something or he wants you to do something. And you trust in the fact that he's going to be able to carry that out. Verse 22. And therefore it was imputed or counted to him for righteousness, uh, not uh, now it was not for written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord uh, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses or our trespasses and was raised again uh, for our justification. And so here you see again uh, This uh, work of Abraham was not simply for him, but for those that would come after him as well. And so the believer is uh, counted by faith to have acted right in God's son. And all believers uh, placing faith in the work of Christ are counted to have acted right. Uh, So, again, it's not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that's imparted imparted to us as a result of faith. Now, we see the reckoning uh, of God to man. And this is at the top of page 10. In the first part, we see the spiritual birth uh, is superior to physical birth with regard to the promise of a singular seed of Abraham. And so go with me over to Romans chapter nine and verse eight. And uh, this book of Romans is really good. Uh, I think it's been mentioned here before. Uh, building up the case for righteousness. Right. In the first part of it, you see that uh, Gentiles are not righteous. God has given the opportunity over the course of time and they've said no to a relationship with God and the righteousness that comes as a result of that. The Jews have done the same thing. And so in chapter three, he concludes there is none righteous. (laughs) No, not one. Right. And then he starts to talk about the way that righteousness was provided in, in chapters four through six. Uh, And then he looks at his own life in chapter seven and says, guess what? I've fallen short of that righteousness by going back and trying to do it again by law. And so in chapter eight, uh, he talks about some of the great things that we have a result as a result of our our position. And then in chapters nine through 11, he takes this uh, detour to talking about Israel again. So what happens to them now that they have not attained to God's righteousness, uh, which is in Christ? Well, they either become part of the, the family of God or uh, um, and lose that identity as, as Israelites or uh, uh, they don't. And so pick it up here in. Uh, I don't want to read the whole thing, but in verse seven, it says. Uh, Neither because they speaking of Israel are the seed physical of Abraham Are they uh, born ones? That word for children is born ones of Abraham. So just because they're physically born out from Abraham and being descendants of him doesn't mean they're of the spiritual birth of Abraham, Uh, really is what he's saying here. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are children are born ones of the flesh. These are not born ones of God, but the born ones of the promise are counted for the seed. For uh, this is the word of promise. At this time uh, will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And so he uses some physical birth there to show you that it doesn't matter that you're just physically born from someone. It matters who God says is. uh, And I uh, the pastor has been very open about this. I think he tries to embarrass me at times. I had a big problem with this when I was young. Right. Why would God choose one and not the other? That's just not right. Well, he come and find out, is it right that he chose any, <laughs> right? <laughs> is it right that he chose me at all? Um, and, and so this idea here is that the physical seed doesn't matter because if the physical seed mattered, Abraham had a physical son in Ishmael that came from him, right? So it doesn't matter about the physical seed. It matters who God is selected, Uh, In that account. Uh, But here you see also uh, counted for the seed. It's God's reckoning. It's who God says is uh, counted for the seed that matters. Uh, We also see over in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 19 that through reconciliation in Christ, uh, God is not counting the trespasses of individuals against them. So here's a kind of the opposite look at that uh, word for counting the things that he's not counting and this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 19 and pick it up in verse 16 he says there wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh yea though we have known Christ after the flesh yet now henceforth know we him no more therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creation old things are passed away behold all things are become new and all things are out from god who hath reconciled us to himself through jesus christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit uh, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors uh, uh, on behalf of Christ. You could say there. Uh, so you can read through this; this is good stuff. <laughs> As though God uh, did beseech you, uh, by us we pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Uh, For he hath made him uh, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God where in him. And so you see the power of position really stated there very clearly. In that one, God is not counting our trespasses against us. Right. He's counting us to have acted right in Christ. And so as you're living this out and you see the transition there from these being facts that we understand and know to believe to actually carrying those over into how you're living out your life. I see many believers um, on a day to day basis dealing with issues of guilt for things they have no reason to be guilty for. And this is an amazing thing. All of these things that you could have done or would have done have been taken care of in Christ. And the only way you're dragging these things around, like uh, Christian and Pilgrim's progress, remember he had the burden on his back that he couldn't get rid of? Well, Christian should have learned to live in Christ, and that burden would have been uh, alleviated from him. If you're in Christ, there is nothing that you should be carrying around. You've been freed from all of that. And so it's up to you as if you're going to live in the truth of what you've been given uh, in your present tense salvation. God has already reckoned it gone. Now, the reckoning of man in Christ, we also see and want to understand. Uh, We see the believer can align with how God sees us in uh, with reference to uh, sin in the present. And so going back to Romans chapter six and verse eleven. And this was the reckon piece of our no reckon and yield. <laughs> I've ended up here a lot of times. You guys are going to have this kind of drilled in your head by the time we're, <laughs> we're done here. Uh, but in verse 9 it says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon or count, deem ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. And so uh, these things that God sees, are you counting them to be true in your life? Right. God has reckoned it to be so that we don't see it right when we're saved. We didn't go and sit on the cross and die. I was listening to a guy earlier as I was over uh Uh, taking care of my mother-in-law and she likes to listen to some of these televangelists i'm not going to call one out by name but he was talking about he's raised people from the dead and he's seen it happen (laughs) and how did he do this he was imagining it in his mind and then it took place (laughs) in real life and this is the starting place for it well i want you guys to replace that (laughs) imagination right but you can use the same principle Can you imagine yourself as having died on the cross for your own sins? Because this is what God sees. Can you imagine yourself having been taken down from that cross and placed into a grave and sitting there three days? Can you imagine yourself as having had that stone rolled away and ascending into heaven and being seated down at the right hand of God? because I can guarantee you, God the Father sees this as a reality. So if we can see ourselves that way, how God has seen us, associated with the work of Christ, now (laughs) he's able to take over the battle of whatever we're dealing with on this earth, and we're able to show forth his glory, right? Remember one of those intos that we looked at before was into his glory. That's how you get there, right? It's a An easy road to get to his glory. And it all relates to the work that his son has accomplished. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. We see Paul aligned in the thought with God uh, as to the futility of present sufferings in comparison with eternal glory. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. And here you're going to have another counting for what God counts to be true. Uh, But pick it up in verse 13. He says, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption or son placement. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are born ones of God. And if children are born ones, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs together, intimately together, mind you, with Christ. If so be that you have suffered with him, that you may also be glorified together with him. For I reckon, I'm counting, I'm deeming this to be so, as you've seen, because God says it so, right? In the last couple of verses, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And really you could say they're because of us. Right. We are gonna reveal or show forth a glory in this, even in this present life, that can't be weighed or balanced with the suffering that could possibly go on in this life. Isn't that some comfort for people that are suffering and I never like to diminish anything that anyone is going through, right? Because in that person's mind, this may be the biggest thing that ever happened. And so what is the worst thing that is going on in your life right now? Can that be compared with the glory that shall be revealed because of us? And as you look out in the future, when we're completely glorified and able to walk in the the fullness of who we are in Christ, Can that thing that you're going through right now be compared to that eternal glory that's going to be shown forth? God sees it right now. Are we counting it to be so in our present tense salvation? Philippians chapter four and verse eight, we see the alignment of proper thought process in Christ results in the believer experiencing peace in spite of our circumstances. Philippians chapter four and verse eight. And pick it up in verse four. He says there, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Here goes that positional truth again, always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything. Well, hold on. I'm, I'm going to make sure everybody got this right. Did I read that right? Because I think some believers that I talk to sometimes read in everything but this thing. right here right no and everything but the time that my car breaks down when i'm ready to go to work (laughs) and everything but the time that i don't have the money to pay for this thing that i need to i I think all every everything means all right (laughs) there's not one thing in which you couldn't do this he says be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication not really with there but after thanksgiving Thanksgiving should take the precedence of your communication with God. And when you go to God with a mind, I'm going through this, God, help me now. And you're not thankful. Your posture is going to be all wrong. And I've experienced it myself. So I can tell you when I ask God first and I'm not thankful first, it it doesn't have the same effect on my life. Right. Because my mind is is still where it was before I went to God in prayer. If I go to God thinking, hey, this thing that I'm going through, I know this is terrible, but I can be thankful for this thing because you counted me worthy of being able to go through this. And I know you're going to give me the power to go through it. I just need you to show it to me right now. Right. And after that Thanksgiving, now, Father, can you help me with this? Right. That's the proper posture for you to have in your communication let your requests be made known unto god and the peace from god which passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds uh really they're not through but in christ jesus do you see how essential your position in christ is how much power there is in scripture related to each one of the situations that you could be going to through in verse 80 says finally brethren Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now that word for think on these things, you reckon you count these things to be so. (laughs) Now you see people that are are dealing with things, and this is all of us at any point in time when we're going through something, it's never because we're counting all of the good things that could potentially happen. You ever notice that? It's because you're in your mind and your imaginations going back to our paper there I'll do a shameless plug for myself a couple years ago but the imaginations in your mind are thinking through all of the terrible scenarios that could happen with this one thing that's going on and we make it into a way bigger thing than it has to be right it's not because you're thinking on what's lovely or you're thinking on what's pure or you're thinking of what, what brings a good report. None of these things, right? It's always negative, 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 negative. And the enemy is speaking in our ears and you're saying, you know what? You're right. <laughs> you know what? That's, that's true. And we're replacing God's truth with the lies of Satan, right? And it, it is causing us to be off kilter. But experiencing God's peace requires you to live in who you are in Christ. And as you're living into who you are in Christ, you're counting these things that God has said about us to be true. Now, the thoughts that are in your mind are suddenly going to be a little bit different right? than the lies of the the enemy. We'll come back next week and we'll look at the doctrine of God's reckoning with the believer. Uh, And we want to look at the fact that God said that certain things are going to take place. We've talked about In our theology proper class, um, uh, or really, yeah, theology proper class, the doctrine of God and and how he has a a divine counsel that he said would take place. Right. And there are certain things that he's not going to allow to not take place. And based on that, he can uh, reckon certain things to be true. And we're going to see other other aspects of that. But we'll come back to that uh, next week, should the Lord not return first.